All right, there he is, Joel Hoekstra from Whitesnake, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, about a million other bands. Uh, Joel, what's going on? Hey, thank you so much for taking the time out today. Appreciate it. Yeah, man, I know you got a, a crazy busy schedule. You just got back uh, from uh, Nam over the weekend, I saw. And, you know, it's uh, obviously it's a, like a gear uh, trade show, but it's really turned into this uh, event, you know, that people travel from all over the world, really just to, a lot of people just, just to meet uh, whatever musician, I think it's, it's almost turned into a bit of a, a fan thing and all these, uh, all sorts of shows around it now and Anaheim and, and LA. It's really remarkable what a, a massive event that it's become over the years. Yeah. I mean, I, there's, there's an upside and a downside to it. The, uh, the upside is that it, it's fun to uh, feel like there's a, a community, you know, still existing when you get there. Sometimes, you know, we can feel like uh, the rock scene is like, where is it? And then when you go to NAM, you're like, here it is. And it's huge still. And it still feels very uh, relevant. And uh, um, it, it's, it's amazing how in, that little microcosm when you go to nam how um i can feel very very known and in the general public like walking around how i can feel completely unknown i say <laughs> it's like uh um so it's it's a great feeling to have that and uh the downside is it's just you know over four or five days you know the energy just gets so depleted from uh being on the whole time and um but yeah it was really cool my friend keith st john asked me to uh, play at the heavy metal hall of fame event the night before um I wish I could have gotten out even a couple of days earlier to um, be a part of the event honor, honoring Leslie West would have been great. And there was something in Vegas right before that. Um, I had to draw the line somewhere though on it, uh, but did that and did Ronnie Montrose remembered, which is really cool. Saw a lot of my friends there and, um, and then also sat in uh, with a band that um, I had played a few so solos on their record uh, a metal band called Leather Wolf, and that was fun. And I uh, did a signing at a booth, and yeah, there you go. Well, there's so much going uh, going on in your world uh, with the new Revolution Saints record that comes out. I believe that's uh, next week. Obviously, you're filling in uh, for Accept later this year. And, of course, recently uh, wrapping up the TSO tour, which I want to touch on first, because uh, that just seems to get bigger and bigger year after year. And I know you've said before that uh, people sort of hold that gig – in higher regard now, uh, as opposed to when it first started, you know, whatever, 25, 30 years, how long has it been? Is it, it's probably coming up on 30 years, right? Since 98. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, coming up on it. Uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah. I mean, a lot of look, a lot of the eighties bands or people that are a fan of that style, which TSO certainly has elements of that. Sure. Um, it, it, you know, we've watched a lot of the, the iconic bands go into retirement or deal with health issues to the point where it's not, um, uh, really the, the original lineup up there, or, you know, maybe just a member or two. And, um, so Trans-Siberian being something that's kind of built around the name itself and obviously is a, um, you know, a little bit easier to have lineup changes occur and have it uh, still be Trans-Siberian Orchestra. You know, the production itself is the star of TSO, and that's kind of beautiful because, you know, that means it's going to live on past all of us, and and, and that was Paul O'Neill's vision with that. So, um, yeah, I, I think it has really risen, like, in terms of the way it's viewed. Um, the opportunity to headline arenas twice a day playing that style of music is, I mean, who's doing that? 
So um, it's great to be a part of it. I've been honored to be there really since I've been hired. Um, and I've always told people it's a great gig. You just, you have to be willing to work hard. You know, it's, it's not a standard touring schedule. You play eight shows a week. Um, the shows are a little over two hours, two hours and 10 minutes, something like that. So on the two show days, which are essentially Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, you know, you've played six shows in three days in three different cities. And um, it's a much, much more of a difficult schedule than, say, being out with Whitesnake playing three, four shows a week or whatever. Um, so you you just have to be willing to work hard. And, um, you know, for me, that's that's never a problem. Well, and to your point about it really being about the production, the, the other thing I've noticed is lately, the past few years, it feels like, you know, coming out of, of the pandemic, a lot of uh, bands that are still doing arenas and stadiums, they seem to have really scaled back uh, the production in terms of pyro and things like that. I mean, there's still bands out there that, that do it, but, you know, it's, I mean, for example, I'm a huge Motley Crue fan and, you know, back, you know, they were doing the crazy shit with, with Tommy Lee's drum stuff and, and all this pyro and all that. And then you go to the stadium tour and it's really just, you know, a, a big video screen and, and stage props and there was no, you know, there's really no pyro or anything like that. And with TSO, I mean, it's just it, at this point, it's it, the stage show is larger than life. Yeah, I think I mean, there's an advantage in fairness to them on the stadium tour. There's probably uh, not the ability to do that just because of uh, being able to rig things to the ceiling of sure. an arena sure. as opposed to the open air of a stadium. So um, there is an advantage to doing the indoor shows um, as opposed to the you know open air um, in the stadium where you can have things, um, you know, come down from the ceiling. And, and um, so. Um, yeah, I mean, I, our production is something that, you know, Paul O'Neill's vision was bigger and better every year and, uh, you know, shock and awe, et cetera. And, you know, um, it, for me, it's just a great feeling to be able to be on a stage like that and have that incredible production behind you. Um, you know, obviously it's fun to entertain and everything like that, but it's also really cool that you can look cool just standing there when you know when you got a wall of flames behind you you don't have to do all that much to look cool you know when that's going on it's like wow awesome you know well and and i would imagine too that the, one of the benefits of of tso is that you know for for most bands someone's favorite band might uh, you know they over tour they tour every year so at some point they're like ah fuck it i'm not gonna go they're just gonna be back in, in 10 12 months but with tso given that it's a, a holiday themed band i would imagine that for a lot of families uh, you know, it's probably really become a holiday tradition, just like, you know, watching a Christmas story or elf or something like that, you know? Yeah. It's, it, you know, that was, again, that was Paul's vision to have this be something that became a, a Christmas or holiday tradition for people. And, um, it's really fun to just be a small part of watching that come to fruition. And, um, I think we really are ingrained in North America and certainly United States Christmas culture at this point in time. Um, it's, you know, the music, some of the instrumental songs are synonymous with Christmas at this point in time, which is, um, it it's really cool to be a part of, you know, I mean, we did um, Good Morning America this year on the tour and then uh, witnessed several high profile covers of the TSO songs kind of going around uh, Kelly Clarkson and the uh, Saturday Night Live band doing a cover of it. And, um, you know, Nita Strauss doing it at the Rams game. And, um, you know, it's... Uh, it's just cool to watch the music kind of take take on uh, a stronger meaning uh, attached to the holidays. I remember hearing this uh, story a long time ago, and I don't even know if it's true, but it 
it's a funny story nonetheless of, uh, you know, older people would go, they'd buy tickets and, uh, you know, and I'm talking, you know, people in their, their, their seventies or whatever, you know, they see the name and they're thinking it's just going to be a traditional Christmas orchestra. And then they, they show up and you know, it's, it's loud guitars and the pyro and all this and that. And they're like, Whoa, this is not what I, what I expected. So, so they leave. Is that a, is that a thing that, uh, that, that you've witnessed? And, and if so, does it still happen today or is everybody pretty? Uh, I don't see them leave. I think that, you know, there's something there. This is like the most cliche line ever. And it sounds jive, but it's actually true that there's something in the show for everybody because, you know, we see families like three generations deep at the at TSO. And that's what's completely different than playing in a rock band. You know, when you look out, you see the grandparents and the parents and the kids and the the grandparents, they kind of dig the fact that there's a story on the front half. So they feel like, hey, we're getting a holiday story and this puts them in the holiday spirit. And the parents are kind of like my age and they're just glad to be there because it rocks. And they're like, this is a rock show in disguise. And sure. uh, the kids, they kind of dig it. Like we got a lot of young kids there and they dig it from the visual aspect of it. You know, you've got the video screen, the width of the arena and, you know, it's snowing indoors and you've got all the pyro going off and the laser light show and us on hydraulic lifts out and you know running through the crowd playing right to the kids and that stuff doesn't really exist in a normal rock show some of it but not certainly not the going out in the audience and playing to kids and sure. um it's uh it's just a very unique show it's uh you know it's built on such a unique model and it it, it tends to like resonate with people of all ages for different reasons um and uh, that's just you know it speaks to the the mad scientist you know paul come paul o'neill coming up with the idea and i'm sure when he put that on a laid that on a paper there was probably a lot of people raising their eyebrows or scratching their heads going you think that's going to fill arenas and um you know he gets the last laugh because it fills arenas twice a day usually so um it's uh it's it's cool to be part of it for sure dude well, moving on, the uh, New Revolution Saints album, Against the Winds, uh, comes out uh, next week. Like we said, that's the project with uh, you, Jeff Pilsen, and, and uh, Dean Castronovo. And this is, uh, this is what your second uh, Revolution Saints record uh, that you've been on right after, uh, uh, was it Eagle Flight uh, last year? Yeah. So, I mean, Revolution Saints started some years ago. I don't I don't know the exact year the first record came out with um, our friends Doug Aldrich on guitar and Jack Blades on bass. Of course, my, you know, I was was a Night Ranger with Jack when he started Revolution Saints with Dean and 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 Doug. So, uh, in fact, uh, was there when he asked Doug to be a part of it. And so it's just kind of it, it's it's you know, strange how time evolves. Those guys eventually just felt like they had run their course with it and were stepping aside. You know, Doug's got dead daisies and Jack's got night Ranger and, um, frontiers and Dean weren't really ready to let it just go away. Um, Dean kind of wanted to have a mock two of this and, um, they asked me to do it. And, um, you know, I just talked to Doug a little bit, made sure everything was cool there. Cause he and I are, are good. You know, we get along great. And, um he said no no i was actually the guy to say get joel to do it and so i was like oh, okay well cool well then, then i don't feel bad about stepping in and doing this um because i i think the opportunity to work with dean castrono and jeff pilson is is something most guitar players would want to do um dean is an incredible world-class drummer and he gets overlooked um in the discussion of who are the great rock vocalists out there these days simply because he's behind the drum kit 
Um, but his singing is phenomenal, man. It, it raises the bar on all of these songs. Um, you know, we get these songs in demo form. Um, so there's scratch guitar and, and scratch, what they call scratch, meaning it's there as a guide, a guide vocal and a guide guitar. And then sure. we all do our thing with it. Right. So um, it's remarkable to hear how much Dean's singing actually lifts each one of these songs. Well, yeah, I mean, admittedly, I, I never even checked out the band until the last single Changing My Mind came out. And then I went back and listened to to uh, the, the rest of the discography. And my God, I mean, just blown away. Uh, what, a, what a hell of a singer Dean really is. And uh, it's kind of surprising that he hasn't, uh, that he never took over lead vocals for Journey. Uh, I mean, of course, maybe he will now with all the dysfunction in that camp uh, down the road. But my God, what a powerhouse singer he is. I mean, no kidding. He's a great talent. You know, Arnell Pineda is a great friend of mine and an amazing talent as well and does an amazing job of fronting journey, um, I, in my opinion, you know. Uh, so, um, you know, what their reasons are. I know Dean does sing some lead during the show. He yeah, does sing yeah. uh, uh, usually a couple songs, I believe, during the set, lead vocals, and obviously contributes mightily to background vocals. I mean, what a luxury to have that voice as a backing vocal. Um, in your band so certainly um you know his talents have paid off for him journey is doing incredibly well i mean just you know the the um the touring success that they've had over the last 15 20 years or so really since they found arnell has been remarkable i mean um so i'm really happy for them i'm friends with a lot of the journey guys and um it's great to watch them have that success and so there was a moment where all three of us in 2011, when I was with Night Ranger, the lineup was Night Ranger Foreigner, which of course Jeff Pilson plays with Foreigner and Dean with Journey, right? So Night Ranger Foreigner Journey. And um, during that tour, Mick Jones went down and I actually ended up going through, uh, you know, an extremely stressful 24 hour period of learning the Foreigner set and kind of going on with both bands for a period of that tour. So Jeff and I, uh, we we have some war stories to tell of me just going through that, you know, learning that set and that one day and going on with them. And um, but all three of us toured together for a large amount of time that year. I, I feel like that tour was a good at least solid six months. Uh, so we got we all got to know each other out there. So when it came time to actually do this, it was it was nice because we all knew each other from that experience. Yeah, I had uh, Jeff Pelson on the show about a month, month and a half ago. And uh, not only is he a, he's a great guy, but his stories, I mean, he's just got some of the most incredible stories out there. I mean, he's he's done so much. Now, Jeff is um, and really, I think, a lot more talented than people understand. Um, and I think, like you said, he's a really, really nice guy. And, um, you know, he just he's got such a, a long history. I mean, I, I was a kid listening to him in Dokken, you know. And so when you factor, he's just been so successful with Foreigner touring wise. Again, that's just like Journey, you know, Foreigner's seen so much success with this lineup with Kelly Hansen. And, um, you know, as much controversy has surrounded that with, uh, you know, having Mick Jones up there and then even Mick not there on some shows. Um, uh, they've they've enjoyed a lot of success in there. They sound amazing. And a lot of these guys have been with it so long that it's like well i mean why isn't that the lineup you know just because they they weren't there at the inception of some of the hit songs that doesn't mean even the original members were part of those hit songs mick jones really was the guy and 
Um, of course, Lou Graham, who's amazing and a legend, you know, one of my favorite singers of all time. Uh, but, um, you know, Jeff, Jeff is just it's it's really cool for me to work with him and Dean, who is also Dean was a part of the uh, shrapnel scene kind of early on, you know, playing with Marty Friedman and Tony oh, McAlpine. And that's right. so, you know, I've been listening to Dean's kind of more technical uh, side of drumming since that same age, right around the time I was listening to Jeff and Dawkins. So, um, you know, a guy like me who is, you know, a little bit younger than those guys back then, that was a big difference because I was like in high school and they were probably in their young 20s and they're famous. Right. So um, it's it's always fun to end up playing and making music or working, if you want to use that term, with people that you grew up admiring. And there was a moment where they seemed larger than life and there was no way in hell you'd ever end up playing with these people. That's kind of been the story of the way the last, uh, I, I guess, about... 16 years have gone for me now, you know, upon like joining Night Ranger and, and working with Jack Blades and, and Brad Gillis guys that, you know, you know, that was seemed impossible for a kid like me growing up in the, the south suburbs of Chicago where stuff like that, you know, I was not from a well-to-do family by, by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, it's not like I grew up in L.A. with, uh, you know, a dad who worked for a record label or was an entertainment lawyer or something like that where, you know, you maybe had a chance. It's like I, I was supposed to have no chance to do any of the stuff I've been able to do. And, of course, you know, same deal goes with joining White Snake and working with David Coverdale, who's you know icon, and and Tommy Aldridge, and you know, I mean, it, it's it's really just been the way it's gone. Having the opportunity to work with a lot of people that I grew up admiring, and and that's not to make them sound that much more older than me because they were all kids <laughs> when they were already famous, you know. Well, uh, before we move off of Revolution Saints, how does the the songwriting uh, with that go? Because Obviously, the, the label Frontiers puts together a, a lot of projects uh, similar to this, although Revolution Saints uh, certainly seems to have a, a bit more legs and, and traction than some of the other stuff they put together. But, you know, like, for example, I know on this this latest, uh, the, the Jack Russell and, and Tracy Guns record that just came out, uh, this guy Alessandro, or Alessandro Del Vecchio did a, a majority of the songwriting on the record. So how does that work with, with Revolution Saints? Is it somebody else bringing the songs in, or do you guys... Uh, write the songs together and and, uh, and collaborate together it's pretty much been the revolution saints uh formula has kind of been alessandro working with outside writers and uh, frontiers kind of approved songs for the album itself and then it's demoed uh by alessandro given to us and the performances are kind of where we we you know lend our personality to it now oddly enough i actually served as one of those outside writers for this prior to me actually being a part of it oh, so no there kidding. was there was a time where you know there was uh, something i contributed to revolution saints for alessandro to write to when i was picturing it being doug playing on guitar which is kind of hilarious and in retrospect and then i ended up being the guy actually playing the the, the parts uh themselves uh off of uh, eagle flight and i know the plans are for the next record i think to have jeff and i do um a lot of the writing and um they're looking to um you know mix it up a little bit and and see if we can take a more active role in the writing but that traditionally that's been it's been more of a label driven project than anything um and 
You know, I mean, people can, I guess, say that's a bad thing, but if the music is good and the results speak for themselves, you know, you have to look at eras like Motown as well and go, well, I mean, how many of those people were writing that music, you know? Sure, exactly. Or was music written for them. So is that entirely, are we going to throw out like anything where that's ever been the case? So certainly a lot of uh, very successful records over the years and uh, successful music was made that way. So that's that's the way it's been done. Um, it'll be interesting to see the next one. Cause I think Jeff and I are going to do a lot more of the writing. Is there any uh, plans to, to ever take this on the road or even just do uh, a few, you know, spot dates here or there, or maybe at a festival like M3 or something like that? It's certainly been discussed. I mean, Dean, Dean really wants to do it. I really want to do it. Um, you know, with white sink more or less going on hiatus from live shows at the moment, um, holding pattern, I guess is probably more accurate description. Um, uh, you know, I'm open to anything and everything as far as like getting out there and, and staying active. So um, it's it's definitely something that's been discussed and looked at. And hopefully that can occur. I'm all for it. Um, moving on, obviously, uh, you're, you're doing some uh, fill in stuff uh, for except later this year in, in uh, South America and, and Europe. And it's interesting how that came about. It was almost really a, a perfect storm because. Uh, Michael Cardelloni hits you up, uh, of course, from Damn Yankees and, and Leonard Skinner. He reaches out to you and says, hey, I'm with Wolf Hoffman. Uh, he needs another guitarist. I told him I have the guy. And then Wolf wants to meet up with you, and he lives in Nashville. At the time, you're out with TSO, coincidentally going to be playing in, in Nashville, I think, just a couple of days later. So it, it really, uh, I mean, it, it's almost as if it was uh, it was meant to be in a way. Yeah, it all clicked. It happened so quickly, you know, and, and Wolf is just a real bright, sharp, you know, super friendly guy, as well as being a great player. And, and it, you know, sometimes you have people make those intros. He connected us first. Michael hit me and said, Hey, I'm with Wolf Hoffman. And then sometimes the, the next thing is like, well, I'll connect you guys via text. And maybe that means a week later, or maybe that means two weeks later or something by email or whatever, but it was like literally five minutes later, or, you know, not even, it was like a minute later. He said, okay, Wolf, here's Joel, you know, Joel Wolf. And Wolf was like, great. You know, I said, well, I'm in Nashville in a couple of days. Let's have coffee. And, you know, so, I mean, it was like, we, we ended up, uh, it was like two days later or something like that, that we were all set and ready to go with this because it made sense for, for both of us. They needed somebody to fill in, um, for, for Phil Schaus and, and I needed something to get out this year and, um, you know, play some of the bigger shows, be able to do the European festivals and, um, you know, they're, they're a great live band. They sound great. You know, Wolf is a great guitarist and, um, killer tone and, um, you know, they're, they're a well-oiled machine live. I mean, that's, uh, all the YouTube footage I've been watching is, is very impressive and I'm looking forward to, um, being a part of it. It's just going to be, I think something that's good for everybody. It's, uh, you know, kind of a fun little window for the fans to, to see me hop in and, and play with them. And, um, it works out great for me because I, you know, would obviously prefer that to sitting on my couch at home or something like that. Sure. So, or, or for that matter, playing smaller shows. So having the opportunity to get out and, um, you know, be seen and, and play with a great sounding live band, like except is, um, yeah, like you said, it, it makes, it makes a lot of sense and, um, just worked out great. Like it was meant to be in a way. You know, you, you said a few minutes ago, obviously white snake is, is on a, on a bit of a hiatus, but do you still, check with with uh, david coverdale when these other opportunities come up and and try to 
clear any commitments like with him and you know hey i, I might have this yeah. thing coming up where you want to do something blah 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 yeah absolutely all the time Dave, david and i you know he, he's he's big on clarity so um i I appreciate that very much. And I think that's, you know, a lot of times where things go awry with um, relationships and bands, you know, just being like very professional about things. So I'm always checking in with David about what's happening and like, look, you know, this is what's coming down and, you know, uh, how do you feel about this? I think we could, you know, um, you know, I, I think certainly under the circumstances of it not being, I'm quitting Whitesnake to join Accept, but just merely filling in, you know, there's, um, that's nothing that ruffles David's feathers. It's been quite the opposite. I mean, he's being very supportive and like, that's fantastic. You know, I'm happy for you. And, no, he's uh, he's somebody that I keep in touch with on a regular basis. David and I are in constant contact, and I did go out and spend some time with him last year and, and work on some box set stuff with them. And um, there might be some more of that this year. So it's not like we're not still active in some capacity. And and you know whatever his vision is and what he wants to do with Whitesnake, I'd like to remain a part of that. And. Um, I think as he put it in one of the texts, he said, I value us. And I said, I value us too, man. You know, like I, he's, he's been fantastic to me. And um, I have a, I, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be presumptuous, but like a nice friendship with him as well. In addition to just merely, you know, working for him, we just, we get along really well. I have a lot of respect for David and um I think that's all he was ever really looking for upon me joining the band is just somebody who showed the um, proper respect to the white snake brand represented it properly. And, um, you know, didn't have any delusions of grandeur or, uh, you know, overstepped their bounds or acted in any way unprofessional. And so I've, I've understood like how to do my best for him. And um, he's been fantastic to me. Uh, obviously, you know, there's no plans or anything, but if something were to happen, I mean, is it possible something could happen in 2024 or are we, uh, if something does happen, are we a year or two at least away from that? You know, I mean, you know, as much as I do with that. So we're, <laughs> we're in, we're in constant contact on the band thread, but it's a lot like his Twitter feed where it's like, you know, the, the, the memes, memes et cetera, <laughs> kind of humor based. And everybody knows it's an unspoken thing that look, this is, if we're doing something, it's going to come from David. So none of us are on there going, so, Hey, come on, man, you know, like let's go. And um, all of us would love it. I'm sure if we got out and we did something, um, the, the way that the farewell tour closed um, was in a way like very epic because the last gig that we played was Hellfest and Steve Vai joined us on the last song of that. And that was kind of like a, you know, a really fun moment to have Steve come on stage and join us and, and play with us. And, um, but it, it also feels in a way like we didn't have proper closure. Um, so we'll see if, if we end up getting back out there and able to, um, I guess have a more natural ending to the um, farewell tour. Um, but that's entirely David's call. And he has my full support on whatever he chooses to do regarding that. Well, uh, one more uh, thing on, on uh, except before we move on, I know a couple of weeks ago, this was still uh, sort of up in the air and undecided, but since both yourself uh, and except will be on the uh, monsters of rock cruise here in, in about a month or so, Will you be playing with them at all during that? Or is that still sort of uh, being figured I, out? 
I, I think we're going to take the opportunity for me to just watch the show twice and um, I'll have the in-ear pack so I can listen to the guitarists. Um, Phil will be on the cruise playing with them and I, it gives me an opportunity to listen to his mix in my in-ears and watch them do the show. Um, you know, there, there are staging things that happen with Accept where, you know, and with all bands really for that matter, where you have to be in a certain spot for a certain solo or sure. certain spot for a certain song, you know, cross the stage, you know, go to this spot for this song. And um, it gives me an opportunity to, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to roll like on their gears um, to have things remain consistent and, and play the famous V's that um, they play as a band and, um, you know, use the Kempers that they play through. And so it gives me an opportunity to get familiar with the gear a bit. Um, I think that, you know, maybe having me step out for a song or something like that on Monsters of Rock Cruise, there's, those the cruises are not always the best as far as like you know getting a nice long sound check and things like that because there's lots of things happening and god forbid anything for that one song was not ideal that probably wouldn't be the greatest thing for you know the world we live in with social media and everything to be like you know like you know this is this is this is the first appearance so i think we're gonna we're gonna keep the curtain down until south america on that and um just use that as like a, a learning ground for myself just to be able to familiarize myself with their show. I want to uh, quickly talk about your time uh, playing for uh, Cher uh, because you, you end up uh, joining her band uh, right around the time David Coverdale was having knee surgery. So uh, your schedule was open, but how did that whole thing come about? I, w I would imagine that that uh, you knew somebody that knew somebody in her camp and, and you got recommended uh, to, to take the gig. Yeah, it was really Justin Derrico from who plays guitar for Pink and The Voice and the other guitarist on The Voice, Dave Barry, was Cher's guitarist. And he said, man, I'm going to need somebody to fill in. And I had just hit Dustin, uh, Justin up because, um, you know, David was having the knee surgery done. And so Justin said, hey, I know this is going to sound weird, but how about Joel Hoekstra from Whitesnake? He understands how to play all different styles, even though, you know, he's kind of known for doing the, the Whitesnake thing. And so I just told Dave, look, I'll learn the show like note for note the way you play it and go in and 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 do it. And so that's how things got started. And it was supposed to really just be a couple shows and ended up really turning into a few years, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> uh, and and how was it uh, playing for her? Because, you know, you hear stories of, of guys like uh, Nuno Betancourt from Extreme, who obviously played with uh, Rihanna for many, many years. And he speaks incredibly highly of her, uh, the gig itself and, and how much freedom he was allowed to have and, and you know, and injecting his his style into the songs and even doing some soloing from time to time but then obviously there's the, the other side of it where perhaps it's a, a decent salary but uh outside of that the gig isn't really all that it's cracked up to be and it's not really a fun experience i mean the the, the share gig is primarily shared down front with dancers and the band is in the background on a bandstand and then there's two moments uh where i would step out with her for songs the rock songs and i would kind of be the only one out there with her for those and so those were big moments and then there was another moment where i would step out and play a segment of a song uh, you know bang bang where uh, it was a wardrobe change for her right i have to kind of hold the audience and um so those moments were the really kind of big high profile very important moments um the main thing that was fun for me was kind 
kind of having a moment to step outside of just like the metal or hard rock genre and get back to a lot of other styles that I know how to play because her music spanned really five decades. So, you know, sure. you're playing disco and and pop and I don't know, all kinds of different styles on that. Um, so that was a lot of fun for me, too. And it was a great band in there. Um, very, very talented musicians. So uh, it, for me, it was a great experience across the board. Well, obviously it didn't end up, you know, working out because of, of scheduling conflicts and things like that. But was there ever a, a moment in time where you considered uh, making a uh, share your, your full-time gig? Um, uh, not really. I mean, I, I kind of advised against hiring me when they were trying to hire me. Cause I was saying, well, I mean, w- when David is back out, I I'm going to prioritize white snake because, you know, I'm on the shirt, I'm on the album, Sure. Uh, when you play for a pop artist, people are buying the tickets to see Cher, yeah. you know, and for the most part, you're just, you know, you're the backing band, et cetera. And you might have a couple amazing moments of stepping out and that this is the nature of the gig. I'm not complaining. It's just that that's what the gigs are, you know? And then with Trans-Siberian, that's something that I'd been a part of for years and probably will be around for years. So I had to really kind of prioritize that as well. So, um, I, like you said, there were scheduling conflicts, especially in 2019, where I ended up being on the road 285 days out of that year between oh those three, God. trying to juggle the three things. So she was very gracious in 2019 and I was only there half of the time and she kind of stuck with me. And then when 2020, before we all knew COVID was going to be a thing, um, I was only really available for about 20% of the shows because White Snake had a really big year and TSO was going to have obviously another big year. And, um, you know, it, things just weren't looking good at that point in time. And then COVID came and everything was null and void sure. anyway. So, you know, what I find so uh, interesting about, about you and, and your career is that, you know, a lot of guys, mainly ones that, you know, experienced success in the 80s, which obviously you were a little young. Uh, in those days, but, uh, you know, you're associated with that style, I, I guess. But, you know, most of the guys from that era, they they attribute their their downfall to Nirvana and all that kind of stuff coming out of Seattle, which is right around the time uh, that you had graduated from the Guitar Institute of Technology. So everybody was sort of, you know, like anti-shred at that point. But you've said before that it was really one of the best things that could have happened to you because you couldn't fall back uh, on your chops. You had to become an even better musician uh, just to be able to get work, which uh, is just uh, very remarkable. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one of the best things that happened to me um, was not being able to just fall back on that and kind of going through the strange trajectory of doing things like working with the turtles and big brother and the holding company um and you know playing with a gazillion singer songwriters playing with acid jazz bands playing with hip-hop bands all kinds of stuff that people would never imagine would happen i don't have the same history as the people that we talked about earlier were that they were a little bit older and found fame and success playing hard rock or heavy metal in their early 20s so uh, for me it ended up taking all the way until the 80s resurgence happened where things really took off for me um that you know uh, i'm sorry i'm just letting i have a, a an interview following this um oh jesus sorry no no it's all good uh uh we can uh we can we can get this uh wrapped up sorry about that no worries brother all good i, I just want to, out of courtesy let the next person know that i'm a little late that's all yeah um, so, so it's all good 
Uh, well, then I guess, uh, yeah, just to, just to, uh, to wrap this up, uh, one thing I, I did want to get to that, that I, I did find interesting too, is that you said before that you had set a goal early on to be more of a uh, professional guitar player, as opposed to, you know, the typical dream of, of being a rock star. Why is that? Is, is it because by the time you were old enough to really pursue a career, that style was kind of falling by the wayside? Or, you know, were you trying to, to mainly avoid the pitfalls, the many pitfalls associated uh, with stardom, you know, drugs and alcohol, all that kind of stuff? Or where did that, that thought process uh, come from? I think just because my parents were professional musicians and growing up in an area where like fame or being a rock star seemed like unattainable. And realistically, it kind of is in a way. I mean, it's um, uh, the, the idea of that happening and taking off is a long shot for people. So, um, you know, the fact that it worked out through hard work and just kind of taking things step by step um, that um, I have been able to do a lot of really fun things where you know, I, I mean, all of the, those labels are all, always relative. Like I said, I can I can be in our microcosm, our small world at NAM, and feel like, well, I've, I've made a name for myself. And then I can step outside in the general world here and walk around and remain largely unrecognized or, sure. you know, have no one know who I am. So it doesn't apply or doesn't it? I have no idea. But, you know, I, I think it's much better to approach things as a pro and just like pro guitarist. And then if that if that label fits or if that's the, you know, what we're, we're doing out there, then great. Because I, you know, um, certainly enjoy that a ton. I, I mean, who wouldn't, you know, the opportunity to, to play on stage with white snake and things like that, where you're, you know, larger than life and theatrical and, you know, uh, big and, you know, and David loves all that. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's a great opportunity and lots of fun to be able to do that. Uh, well, as we uh, wrap this up, outside of everything that we talked about, what else is going on in your world uh, for 2024? I mean, uh, you mentioned the Revolution Saints record. I'll be counseling a rock and roll fantasy camp um, in both February and March. People can look into those uh, coming up. I'll uh, be doing lots of acoustic duo gigs with my friend Brandon Gibbs in the, uh, the U.S. We're going to be all over. We're doing a U.K. tour and possibly Japan in the fall. Um, you mentioned the, all the accept shows happening in South America and in the European festival circuit. And then of course there's the Trans-Siberian Orchestra tour. And in addition to that, I'm currently writing my next Joel Hoekstra's 13 album, which we didn't get to really talk about today, but, um, and, uh, the project iconic that I have as well with frontiers with Michael Sweet and my white Saint bandmate, Tommy Aldridge, Nathan James, Marco Mendoza, um, we'll be doing another one of those records this year as well. So busy year. Yeah, no kidding. Well, check out the brand new Revolution Saints record against the wind when it drops February 9th. Check Joel out with Accept in South America and Europe uh, later this year. Joel, thanks uh, so much for doing this and sorry to uh, run a little late here, but appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you so much. Okay. Yeah, appreciate it, brother. Thank you so much for your time. 